Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. You know, the federal election campaign is fully operational now, if not particularly functional in a lot of respects. And one thing that has some people confused is why there hasn't been a detectable drop in liberal support, given all that publicity last week on Justin Trudeau's episodes of wearing blackface and brownface, and of course, his apologies. Um, Today, there's a new poll that looks at the latest data. Mario Canseco, the president of Research Co., conducted the poll. He writes for us here at Glacier Media, BIV, and he joins me now. Good to see you. Great to be here. Uh, these are fresh out of the oven. Uh, yes. <laughs> tell me, well, let, let's, okay, let's do the horse race thing first, and then we'll explore. <laughs> what, what do we have the parties at? Well, we have the two parties gaining uh, by a couple of points. So we still have a very tight race, three points uh, between the Liberals and the uh, federal conservatives. Uh, what's interesting also is liberals, the NDP. Liberals up though, right? Liberals up. So yeah. they're, they're still ahead. Uh, a little bit of a drop for the conservatives in areas where they're going to do well regardless. So it's not something that is very difficult for them. But the liberals doing well in Ontario, a very tight race developing here in BC between the liberals and the conservatives. And, and the NDP is going through a very interesting situation where more residents are saying that they like Jack Mead Singh, but fewer are saying that they're going to vote for the NDP. So it's quite complex what is happening to them right now. Um, has there been any detectable impact of of what was a great deal of negative publicity last week? No. Uh, the numbers for Justin Trudeau remain the same as they were before this campaign began. 41% of uh, Canadians saying that they like what he's doing. His disapproval rating is up to 54%, so it's up four points since we last checked back in July. Uh, but it's nowhere near the level that we've seen other scandals hit other federal leaders. I mean, going back to maybe Paul Martin, going back to Stephen Harper, um, this hasn't affected them in a way that many people expected. Even among younger voters? Well, what is interesting with the younger voters is they're looking at Jack Mead Singh as their favorite leader. Uh, he's over 50%. So there's a lot of young voters who are looking at the Greens, looking at the NDP as an option. The numbers for Justin Trudeau aren't particularly dismal with the younger voters, but it's going to be a much tougher sell, especially in an area like BC, to go back and ask them for their vote. Yeah, that's interesting because obviously uh, people look at the 2015 campaign and they say, well, one thing that Justin Trudeau did pretty effectively was he mobilized the millennial vote. In this case here, it, what what do you see now in these numbers that tells you about his challenge here in the last three and a half, four weeks? Well, it's really about uh, trying to taper off the rise of the conservatives. Uh, even though we haven't seen Andrew Scheer climbing the charts on the best prime minister question, for instance, uh, he's also not doing well on areas where federal conservative leaders usually do well, uh, particularly economy and jobs, and also accountability yeah. and leadership. Uh, after the couple of weeks that we've had, I was expecting Andrew Scheer to be five or six points ahead of Justin Trudeau on both of those, and it really hasn't happened. So an issue for Trudeau is, can I get those center-left voters not to go to the NDP and the Greens, but also not to lose specific writings to the federal conservatives, especially in the North Shore. I, I, I talked to, to, you know, liberal, conservative and NDP folks in behind the scenes. All of them are grumpy about their campaigns. Nobody thinks <laughs> nobody thinks the campaign's being really well run. Uh, they're all blaming somebody in you know, central command and all of that. But the sheer stuff, uh, I think, is likely a, the most surprising of this bunch because, uh, you know, out of both the SNC-Lavalin affair and, and obviously the last week, uh, the, the misery, the international misery that was brought upon Justin Trudeau for bringing upon the world his, his uh, sense of costuming, uh, <laughs> is now, you know, you, you, you would assume that Andrew Scheer 
would um, would somehow get um, the appropriate bump. What what has happened here? Do well, you think? I, I think it's reminiscent of what happened in the first Stephen Harper campaign against Paul Martin, two thousand and four. There wasn't this moment where Harper overcame all of that and was looking as a much better manager of economic issues or a much better prime minister in waiting in that sense than what Paul Martin was. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something similar here. There is something that is missing. There is not the level of connectivity that you would expect from an opposition leader who is auditioning for the top job. And it really hasn't happened after weeks of talking about accountability and leadership and economic management. Uh, maybe Canadians are just tired of hearing about, uh, you know, we will balance budgets, we will do things differently. It's been difficult for them to connect with Andrew Scheer on the emotional level that he requires to right. make those three or four points. Well, that's, that is it. I mean, I think a little bit like Stephen Harper, um, people uh, infer that Andrew Scheer is, is kind of a, a meeker, milder version of, of Harper, but also not able to register that emotional quotient that sometimes comes into campaigning, does that mean his strategists have to push him to frankly speak up a bit? I think there's a change that needs to happen. Uh, If the campaign on I'm more of a leader than Justin Trudeau and I'm a better economic manager uh, than Justin Trudeau were working, he would be ahead by five points on both of those numbers, and he's not. So there's definitely something that isn't working very well. That stability, that kind of quietness is not going to catch fire. No. And I think he probably requires to have a very good debate in both English and French and to try to tailor this campaign in a way that is more meaningful for residents. I think one of the problems with the campaign for the conservatives is it's been a national campaign. There hasn't been an emphasis on going to specific areas and talking about what the people there need to hear. And we have consistently seen this. Uh, There is no top issue in the entire country. There's a wide range of things that are bothering people in, in each region. And if you don't tailor campaigns to talk to them in that way, you're not going to get any traction. Um, it strikes me, too, that uh, what, I've, what I've seen is the conservatives talking about trying to get back a certain sensibility about economic stewardship, right, especially the books of the federal government. In, the, in doing that, though, uh, they also reprise memories that are not always extremely positive for Canadians about uh, the Stephen Harper years. Can they find a way to thread that needle in in the time ahead with the their economic stewardship, so that people feel, yeah, you know, our our economy will be run better, but oh, it won't feel like those days. Yeah, I think that's definitely crucial to the exercise. Huh. Uh, there hasn't been a discussion about services, and that is the thing that most Canadians worry about when they're talking about. Uh, deficits. Yeah. Uh, how are you going to fix this without taking away some of my services? They've tried with some boutique uh, tax cuts, and, and that seems to be helping in some areas where they usually do very well, but it has to be more than that. It, there's no situation here that is making Andrew Scheer look like, look like a better economic manager, and it's been you know four or five weeks of him talking about the fact that Canadians are angry with the fact that, uh, that the, there's a deficit, that we're spending more money than we have, but it hasn't resonated as loudly as they expected. It's only a snapshot of, of say, today, but um, but obviously the seat totals, uh, where they translated from your poll today, would indicate what? A liberal minority? A liberal minority, probably. Yeah. And, and I think here's the issue. It's more about um, where the center-left vote is going to go. Right. This is a very 
strange week to be doing this because we're, we're talking about climate change consistently. We have the strikes. We had Greta Thunberg go to the UN. Uh, the Greens got a little bit of uh, numbers that are better, particularly for the leader, but they're still at 9%. So it's a tough one to try to say, well, who's going to buttress this government? Is it going to be the Greens who are doing better in BC and in uh, Halifax, for instance? Uh, but is it going to be a situation where the NDP is going to be the one to say, we'll help you out? But with that concentration of its vote uh, in a couple of centers, that doesn't particularly translate. I mean, they're, they're not going to get 9% of the seats, for instance. No. So, so in a way, the, the, the sights turn to Jagmeet Singh. And I know that we were probably musing three, four, five weeks ago that this was just, you know, a, a, you know, a, a lame duck leader that was going to run his course and October, the morning of October 22nd, he'd be submitting his resignation. He now, I think, has a, a job to keep um, if, if these poll numbers hold. Um, what, what do you think is the challenge for him in the last few weeks here? Well, I think he needs to close the deal. You know, we do see a situation where Canadians are reacting emotionally to him, partly because of what Justin Trudeau had to undergo because of his uh, choice of wardrobe. Uh, but ultimately, it's about trying to establish that connection. And we've seen NDP leaders in the past, provincially and, and federally, who have been unable to do that. Uh, there is a sense of dissatisfaction with the way Canada has been going, and you're looking at the NDP as an option, but it needs to be more than just, I really like this leader, uh, but I don't think I can vote for his party right now. And that is the biggest challenge that they have. You, you, it's really odd to have a situation where the rating for the leader goes up and the share of the vote goes down. So there's definitely a sense for many Canadians of, I'm just going to waste this. If I'm worried about the federal conservatives winning again, I'm going to stick with the liberals. We're way ahead of ourselves in, in this, I guess, in speculating. However, if... Uh, let's not stop. Uh, <laughs> however... If, um, if we're looking at uh, the result on the night of October 21st, is that uh, involving uh, you know, liberals with, uh, with a lead but not a majority, do the liberals really need to have something like a coalition or can they just try to govern and wait, you know, wait out something like a confidence vote uh, and try to assuage the NDP, the Greens, who knows? Uh, in, in in that kind of measure. So in a way, does Jagmeet Singh also have to find a way to persuade Justin Trudeau that he's a decent coalition partner? I think there's a, there's a chat that needs to be had, and it's not about how Justin Trudeau dressed in the past. Uh, it needs to happen fairly quickly after that, uh, because ultimately we could see the same fate that uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau had in 1972 and form a minority government that is wobbly. It only lasts a year and a half, and then you head into a new election. Um, but I think ultimately it's about Jack Singh convincing the liberals about specific things that he wants to get done. We're not going to see the entire NDP platform implemented by a liberal government, but there might be a way for them to sit down and say, this is what I want out of this government and this is how I can help you. Do not use uh, the example of the coalition government between the conservatives and the liberal democrats in the United Kingdom, <laughs> because we know that that destroys the minor party. So look elsewhere if you want an example of this. Yeah. Um, let's talk now about uh, the pending debates. Uh, the, you know, the two principal ones that are left are, are uh, October 7th and October 10th. Uh, the English language one, of course, is the one we end up watching much more because the simultaneous translation is what it is. It's very <laughs> difficult to make that work if you don't know your French. Uh, let's talk a bit about what uh, each of these leaders now has to figure out uh, 
first of all, we'll start start with Justin Trudeau. He's going to probably face another battery of questions on uh, on his 2001 antics and and earlier, I guess. Uh, what what is new there? Uh, what does he have to say that's new as well? I think he has to focus on the record, talk about specific things that the government has done, talk about policies, maybe hammer a little bit on some of the leaders there about the past uh, misbehavings of the conservatives, for instance. Yeah, but that's a pivot, though. I mean, well, that, it's that, the it's, only thing he can it's do. A, it's a pivot. <laughs> I mean, like he, he, he is. I, I get the fact that he's uh, somewhat, uh, you know, taken blame, uh, assumed responsibility and all that. Does he have to do it all over again or, or can he leave that behind him now? I think they can leave it behind. If we were in a situation where they were trailing by three points, where people were completely upset about what happened and really rethinking whether this is a person that they want to be at the uh, 24 Sussex, then yes, you do it. Uh, but I don't think there's enough pressure right now to justify something like that and to spend you know, 45 or 60 seconds of the debate apologizing for something you did before you ran. Can Andrew Shearer remake this as a meal? I think he will try to do it. And I think they will also touch on the SNC-Lavalin issue. We've seen him very active in Quebec, uh, reminding people about this and calling for an inquiry in the case in case that he becomes the next head of government. So I think they will push him more on the SNC-Lavalin thing, which is more about his judgment as the head of government of the country and less about things that he did in the past. I think there's a there's a universe where the issue that we just saw with the uh, Justin Trudeau's choice of wardrobe um, becomes bigger, but it's just not happening at this stage. These are three leaders, uh, Trudeau, Scheer, and Singh, who I think uh, cumulatively are probably the three youngest that we've had uh, in in a debate as the major parties in all of this. Andrew Scheer is, what, 40 years old? And, um, and what I wonder about there is, does he have to suddenly develop a bit of a a gravitas, kind of a, you know, get some gray hair on him here in the time ahead, because otherwise he doesn't get treated quite as seriously. It's absolutely necessary. I think the the first debate, even though Justin Trudeau wasn't there, uh, provide us with an opportunity of how they were planning on doing this. And it's essentially the Harper playbook. Look at the camera. Don't talk to the people next to you. Only address them if you have to and try to appeal to Canadians. And it didn't really work that well. I yeah. think in this one, you need something more like 1984 or 1988, a little bit of a back and forth. And right. this is what you were supposed to do. And you, you had didn't. an option, sir. You could have said no. Right. The kind of stuff. Yeah. But and, and there's another elephant in the room, which is Maxime Bernier, uh, whose right. party has collapsed. Uh, there are 1% in Quebec. His approval rating is at 17%. And I think this is because he thinks he's running for governor of Texas. You know, the, the <laughs> emphasis on immigration, the illegal immigration, mass immigration. Seems to, be running, really for, seems to be running for his seat and not much more at the moment. <laughs> um, was it a mistake for the, the election commission to let him let him in? Well, I, I just don't I mean, understand your, your, why. your numbers don't indicate that he's anywhere. No. And, and I think, you know, part of the situation is uh, even though this is what I do for a living, I don't think you can look into something like this. And in a survey that usually has a margin of error of 3%, say that if somebody reaches 3%, then they should be invited to the debate. I, I just don't think that's the right course of action. Mathematically, uh, they could be at zero. Right. That being said, what, what do you think a guy like that is going to do in this debate? Because he, in a way, when you have nowhere to go but up, you sometimes do some things. 
Well, and I think we've seen examples of that in, in other elections when you have nothing to lose and you start to promise things that are probably undeliverable. Uh, I think part of the problem might be how do you pressure the other people who are in the room into paying attention to what you're doing? Does Maxime Bernier take on Andrew Scheer? I think he will. And I think it'll be interesting to note. And, and I think they'll, they, they will probably have some sound bites ready about, you know, I beat you before and we're going to beat you again. And, you know, you're, you're meaningless and how dare you. There's going to be a little bit of back and forth, but it's not something that is worrying federal conservatives right now. And I think there was a moment maybe six months ago when they thought if the People's Party starts to climb the charts, we're in trouble here. We could lose some seats that are safe. But right now it doesn't seem to be the case. The issue isn't is a bit of a timeshare though, right? You're going to get a guy like Maxime Bernier getting as much airtime as Andrew Scheer. That's airtime that Andrew Scheer would like to have a greater share of. Absolutely. No, I think, uh, and there's a reason for them to be so upset with the decision of the committee. Uh, you know, we wanted to be the sole center-right conservative voice that was going to talk about these things, and we're going to do it in a way that is much more nuanced. And now here's somebody else who is promising something that is going to be definitely more radical than what we're planning. But, you know, we, we, we keep forgetting, you know, he was just a few votes away from being the yes. one on that no. stage instead of Andrew Scheer. 13 ballots. Not exactly uh, an easy race. Um, a couple of things. Uh, let's trail back to Justin Trudeau in a sense. Uh, I think people might have thought when um, when the, the, the uh, publicity <laughs> arose last week and when all the attention, that suddenly this was uh, an election that was really a referendum on Justin Trudeau. Is that proving to be the case right now? I think it is, but not on the issue of leadership and accountability. I think it's especially for the younger voters who were enthralled by Trudomania Part 2 back in 2015, uh, vo voting strategically and maybe not voting for the NDP or the Greens because the whole goal of that election was to get rid of Stephen Harper. I think they are the ones who are taking a very hard look at what happened and maybe looking at other parties as an option and saying, you know, if we send a minority government, we'll, we'll see what happens with Justin Trudeau and we'll know what the liberals are actually made of. It's not going to be as easy, even though we continue to see the ads uh, where they're talking about the greatness of BC and he's doing the grouse grind. Uh, it's a completely different election this time around. And it's not going to be that easy to go knock on those doors and say, give us another four years of uh, majority. Knowing what you know about where the, where the, the support is in regions of the country, uh, does switching a vote, moving it from the liberals to the NDP get conservatives elected terribly many places? It can help, especially here in BC. I think that's definitely one of the areas where if you look at the North Shore ridings, for instance, uh, any drop for the liberals that goes towards the NDP helps the conservatives try to get those ridings. Andrew Saxon in North Vancouver, for instance, the West Vancouver riding that goes all the way to Squamish, uh, those two could be at play. Um, it's not going to be that complex in other areas closer to where we are in the city of Vancouver. I don't think it's a situation where Vancouver Granville suddenly becomes fertile ground for the conservatives. Uh, it's not going to be that simple. But well, there what are do you, By the way, areas. what do you think is going to happen there? What do you, what do you see happening there with Jody Wilson-Raybould? Well, it's such a difficult situation. I think... Uh, you know, Talib, uh, who's running for the Liberals, uh, did not have enough time to get ready for this. I, I understand that it took them a while to find a candidate who wanted to to take on this job. Uh, but there's a, an added element of being prepared for this when you're an independent. They knocked on all those doors. We see all the signs around. It's definitely difficult for them. And I know that the Liberals would de desperately want to win this yeah. uh, because you don't want a voice like that. Uh, 
against you consistently because of everything that it meant. Uh, but it's it's such a weird writing. You know, you have three different swaths of land that vote very differently. And it's only the second election that we have with those boundaries. So it's it's a tough one to call, but it's not a situation where the NDP or the Conservatives would do well. I think it's a it's a two-person race at this stage. When you uh, when you try to translate what your latest results today uh, suggest will be the seat totals, uh, how much of a margin, how much of a cushion might the Liberals have in uh, in an edge on the Conservatives? Is, is this a is this a ten point a twenty twenty? Pardon me, a ten seat a ten seat twenty seat thing? Around that area, I would say around probably be, probably between fifteen and twenty. And it's ultimately about where the other parties go, because the other thing with the NDP is they're at 9% in Quebec, and they are trying to hold on to a lot of seats there, which are probably not going to happen. So those seats that Jack Mead Singh requires to say, I'm your kingmaker, have to come from somewhere. It could be in BC, it could be in Ontario, it's not going to be in Quebec. We haven't mentioned the Bloc Québécois. We seem to forget about them uh, out here in particular. Uh, in my days in, in Ontario, uh, we never forgot about the Bloc Québécois. They were always a very big factor. What, what do you think happens with them in this election? Well, at this stage, they're fighting for second place with the Conservatives. Conservatives at 23%, Bloc at 21%. Uh, we could say it's a resurgence of the bloc because we've had them in single digits for a while. But going back to the time of Gilles Duceppe, when they were getting 35 40%, maybe 47% of the vote in some elections, this is not where they're supposed to be. And I think it's definitely tied to what we saw provincially in the Quebec election. Uh, when you have the, the PQ, the, the one party that is advocating for Quebec's place within Confederation, at 19%. Uh, so I they don't get helped by a premier like Legault? No, no, not at this stage. And, and what is interesting here is it's a vote that is mostly over 55, mostly Quebec City and the rural areas. Uh, very few people within Montreal are actually thinking of the Bloc Québécois as an option. So it's, uh, it's the younger generations that are looking at things that are more important, like the environment or Quebec's place in Canada, than going back to whatever Charles de Gaulle said in 1967. <laughs> Vive le Québec libre. Um, le, let's... Um Let's look at one last thing. Um, I was uh, struck by the tables in the poll and, uh, and how actually the economy has emerged here. Yeah. And, and uh, again, I probably put this one back to uh, the conservatives uh, because liberals have already been out there on what they're going to do. We know where the NDP are. The conservatives have had a, a kind of a, there's kind of an ambiguous area for what the, what the conservatives wish to do on the environment. Is that pivotal, do you think, Mario, to what it is that the conservatives can do in this election in, in hardening their position somehow and, and making it clearer on what really what their initiatives are beyond tax credits for fixing my house? You know? It's absolutely crucial for them to connect on that file in a way that doesn't talk about deficits or fiscal management because they're not winning on those issues. I think it's more important, especially in the areas where this is uh, the number one issue. In Alberta, it's not going to be a problem. We're not going to see a lot of people switching from the Conservatives to the NDP or the Greens or the Liberals. In Ontario, it's also the number one issue. And I think this is very important. If they can find a way to connect with voters in Ontario on finances, they could drop the share of the vote from the Liber for the Liberals for a couple of points. And then we're talking again in a couple of weeks with a tie and not a three-point lead for the Liberals. Yeah. Uh, do you think the Conservatives can still win this election? Yes, definitely. I mean, going back to other elections, you know, at this stage, uh, four years ago, we still had the NDP 
a little bit ahead yes. of the conservatives. The liberals were really the days of Prime Minister steam. Tom Mulcair. Yeah. Yes, we were talking about whether Prime Minister Tom Mulcair would keep the Senate or you know, things <laughs> things of that nature. Uh, it's there's still time, but I think you know part of the situation is. We always get distracted with, with what happens during campaigns. Four years ago, it was the Syrian refugees and the situation related to whether you should wear a veil when you're becoming a citizen. Uh, this time around, it was Trudeau's blackface. And it hasn't helped anybody. We still, though, have, uh, we're still three weeks away. Uh, lots of time for a, for a campaign issue to emerge. A ballot box issue, even in this case. Anything that you see lurking out there? Well, if the environment continues to climb the charts, uh, which is difficult to tell because this is the week when it's supposed to be as high as it is, right. um, there might be something there. I, I think there'll, there'll, there'll be a moment when the conservatives try to talk about specific things that they want to do for the environment. And that is the moment when you realize that they're not going to win on leadership or on accountability or on economic management. I think it's more about that. Uh, and also what is going to happen with those voters? You may care deeply about the earth, but if the choice between you is going to be voting for the NDP or the Greens, which might enable the conservatives to win the election, you might even go back to the liberals. It's kind of like what happened in Manitoba just a few weeks ago. You know, people weren't that upset with the premier to kick him out and they weren't that enamored by the opposition leader uh, to bring him in. Yeah. Last question. Uh, does it help anybody to be as, in a way, disliked as leaders? I mean, <laughs> is, is, is this going to be still the election where you vote for the least dislikable? It certainly looks that way. And I think part of it has to do with specific ways in which we've reacted uh, to the events of the past. Uh, and, you know, you find liberal voters who say it didn't mean anything. You find conservative voters who say it means everything. And, you know, we are reaching that level of polarization, certainly not uh, in the same way that we look at it in the United States. Uh, but there's definitely people there who are not going to change their minds and are going to stick with the party that they have. This is going to be decided by that 10 or 12 percent of Canadians who go back and forth between different parties. All right. I, I lied. I, I will ask one last question. <laughs> uh, and it has to do with Donald Trump. Uh, you know, I, I think there have been a lot of polls that have suggested that Justin Trudeau hasn't done a terribly bad job in handling Donald Trump. If Donald Trump looks, though, like he's walking the plank pretty soon, does that affect anything, do you think, in this campaign? Not really. I think part of it has been uh, there's always an advantage for the incumbent when it comes to handling foreign affairs. And we see it in this survey as well. And it's not like Andrew Scheer is suddenly going to become the next diplomat who is going to be solving problems around the world. He hasn't really managed to create that type of aura. Uh, but, you know, it, it helps having somebody who has dealt with Donald Trump. And obviously, I don't expect the impeachment proceedings to to wrap up before October 21st. No, there's still a not. long way to go. No. Uh, but I think there's there's that danger in a, in, in a sense, uh, which we haven't had before. We weren't talking about uh, Jan no. Cretin as somebody who could handle George W. Bush or, or anybody right. as somebody who could handle Barack Obama. This is different because it's a man who's been on television for so long and we can't help but notice what he's saying even when he says it behind closed doors. Yeah, and he'll probably keep saying it no matter what. Mario, always good to see you. Thanks a lot for your help today. My pleasure, anytime. Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co. You've been listening to BIV Today. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next time. 